Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. We haven't met. My name is Michael. I work on staff here. Uh, one thing you should know about me is that we have three boys under the five and under. So our youngest was just born in February. Uh, so we're into the modern parenting process. And there's a couple funny, interesting things. Like one, you, you need to have like an extravagant gender reveal party. Some people like to have explosive gender reveal parties. Uh, you have to make sure to register on Amazon. There's this app called What to Expect When You're Expecting that will show you the size of your child and compare it to a fruit, which you've eaten before. So here's a couple examples. Week three is a vanilla bean seed. I've actually never seen one of those. Week 14 is a navel orange. Week 20 is a sweet potato. Week 27 is a cabbage. Week 32 is a cantaloupe. Week 38 is a mini watermelon. And then if you make it all the way to week 42, it's a watermelon. This was actually mildly helpful for me because I wasn't the one in our family who was pregnant. So I didn't experience the symptoms on a daily level. Uh, to be perfectly clear, I believe my wife that she was pregnant, and the pregnancy strips, and the doctors, and the sonogram. But on the daily level, because the growth is so minimal, from day to day, it can be hard to perceive that there's growth happening, because it's invisible. I can't see it. I can't. Heather could perceive it. I couldn't. All right, so that might not relate to your experience at all. Uh, here's another one that might relate to you, is investing. So this sometimes like seemingly insignificant growth becomes something like big results. So the magic of compound interest, the number one or one of the biggest determiners of success long-term in the market is time. Just the steady, constant contributions. And if you check in daily on your account, you're probably not going to see the long-term growth from day to day to day. But if you can just take a step back and commit to the five-year check-in, the 10-year, like if you can take a step back and look at it from five, 10, 20 years, something small and consistent actually can become something quite large. I got to work for a friend of mine who started a company. Maybe some of you have started a company or worked at a small startup. So I was his second employee ever. Uh, so that was really fun. Now that company, seven to 10 years later, is like 30 employees, multiple million dollars in revenue every year. So on the daily grind for us, it might not have seemed like anything significant was happening growth-wise. Get two clients one month, lose one the next. Get four clients over the summer, lose one. But the slow, steady grind caused processes to break, employees need to be added, and now multiple families are having their well-being taken care of through this company. What we want to see in this passage today is how Luke wants us to perceive God at work in Jesus, how his kingdom grows, and importantly, like what kind of environment we need to be to be a part of God's kingdom. And we're going to see part of why we named this Luke series, The Gospel is Bigger Than Anyone Imagined. So here's the gospel principle. Please don't miss it and read in the Word and make sure I'm not making this up, that God's kingdom grows in receptive places. 
God's kingdom grows in receptive places. All right, so let's, let's pray, and then we'll jump into the word together. Father, I ask that you would open our eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to receive your word. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so we're in Luke 13 today, 18 to 21. If you have a physical Bible, that's like four-fifths of the way through. And if you have a digital one, just hit probably those three lines and then scroll up until you get to Luke and hit it. 13 is a chapter designation, so we all know like what part in the book that we're all talking about together. And 18 to 21 are like the smaller units inside that. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we're, we're going to put them up on the screen for you, so you won't be left out. So this small unit that we're talking about today can't be understood apart from the preceding story that Matt talked about last week. That's why I read it. So in that event, Jesus enters a synagogue on the, on the Sabbath day, and he's teaching. And while he's teaching, this woman comes in who's disabled, and he heals her. She glorifies God. The synagogue leader tells people, hey, come on non-Sabbath days. And Jesus completely disagrees. He says that you unbind your animals to give them water. Shouldn't this woman, who's a daughter of Abraham, be unbound on the Sabbath? So Matt told us that Jesus sees her. He heals her. God is glorified, and Jesus gains like a little bit more territory in what Matt described as a cosmological battle against the accuser, Satan. And the reason why I had us like reorient ourselves to that is because in the next breath, I assume Jesus is still standing there, he says what we're going to look at today. The reason I know that is just one word, therefore. Therefore is a conjunction. It's linking two units. Luke is showing us that Jesus is making an inference or a conclusion about what's just happened in the Sabbath. So an inference works like this. The Celtics play tomorrow night at 9 p.m. I will probably not make it past halftime. So if I wanted to add in a conjunction in there, I would say the Celtics play at 9 p.m., therefore I will probably not make it past halftime because I'll be in bed. So what we're looking at is Jesus inferring or concluding what has just happened with the woman in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And to do that, he gives us two questions about the nature of the kingdom of God. The first question is, what is the kingdom of God like? We're going to see he picks an object from nature. And then he says, to what shall I compare it? And we're going to see he picks an action and shows how that object that he's picked is at work in the world. So what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should the kingdom of God be compared to? Before we get into the next verse, we need to do a little bit of work on what kingdom of God means. And clearly, Jesus needed to redefine what kingdom of God meant for the people he's talking to right then in that moment, because that's what these analogies are doing. The Jewish people that Jesus is around at this moment have a heritage and a yearning for the kingdom of God under David to return. And they have all of these reflections and readings in the prophets that remind them that God is still has prophecies that David is going to return, and they're waiting for that to happen. They have a historical memory of their ancestors being in a land without Roman overlords. They have this memory of David establishing the kingdom by the strength of his warrior hands, giving them peace and security in the land. That's the historical form of establishing the kingdom and the historical archetype of a king that they have in their memory. 
God's going to raise up a son for David, elevate him above the nations, as Psalm 2 and 110 said. This is what they're looking for. This is their expectation of kingdom and kingdom establishing. We can have some of our own kind of bad perceptions of the kingdom, or at least I can. And to be perfectly clear, I got this from Disney. And I didn't know it. I got this from the Lion King. So Simba and Mufasa are like on top of Pride Rock. And they're looking out and he says, everything the light touches is our kingdom. And he said, well, what about that stuff over there in the shadows? That's beyond our borders. Don't go over there, which he does. So we can tend to think about kingdom as, as that, as static boundaries instead of a dynamic presence. Another way that we could uh, interpret or translate kingdom of God would be God ruling. Like this is what it looks like to, for God to rule or God to reign or I'm going to make up a word. This is what it looks like for God to be kinging. Like God kinging looks like this. So the kinging of God or the reigning of God comes in Jesus, and it includes any space, any part of God's world where Jesus is at work. When the king is there, the kingdom is there, and his presence reveals the kingdom. So that helps us a little bit to see what Jesus is getting at with these analogies. Let's remember the framing questions. What's the kingdom of God like, and to what should we compare it? So the first analogy says the kingdom or God kinging is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. So the first question, what is it like? It's like a mustard seed. Mustard seed is really small. It's like the piece of fuzz that your OCD friend picks off your shoulder in the middle of you talking to them. It's like small and it's easy to overlook. So Jesus is inferring that delivering a woman on the Sabbath from 18 years of disability is like this tiny seed. So that's question one. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. What should it be compared to? What should Jesus doing things like healing a woman on the Sabbath be compared to? The kingdom at work, God kinging, is like somebody who has a garden. And they take one mustard seed and they pick out their spot and they plant it intentionally in a garden. And over a long time, that seed becomes a shoot, and that shoot becomes a plant, and the plant becomes a bush, and over a couple years, eventually it becomes like a three to ten foot high tree. And then birds and other biological life get to make their homes in it. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Slow, patient, growing. Jesus is God's king, and he's like a gardener. In his ministry of releasing people from Satan, from sin, from sickness, from death, is God kinging in these small moments that have huge, will have huge results over time. So a woman healed after 18 years, a child raised from the dead, a man released from demons, a woman who just touches him and is healed of a bleeding disorder. There's something really fascinating about this analogy. Is that the seed is planted in a garden. Did you, did you catch that? He took it and he put it in a garden which is a place that's hospitable to planting a seed and having it cultivated and grown into a tree. So you can't take a mustard seed and throw it into a swamp. You can't take a mustard seed and throw it into the desert. It needs receptive soil. So the question for us would be, what about you today, right now? Are you a receptive environment for Jesus and his authority? Are you learning to walk in dependence on him in every area of life? Maybe have you closed off part of you to him? Maybe you're here today and you're not interested at all. 
Just consider what he did for this woman who was bound up, disabled for 18 years. And then imagine what he can do for you if you learn to let him have authority over your life. What we see is that Jesus is saying there's huge results from a small action from Jesus. As he's going around, there's going to be huge results from these small actions. And this is how the gospel is bigger than anybody imagined. Like you, me, we're halfway across the world from where all of this happened. And we're receiving the preached gospel of the resurrected Jesus today because Jesus is still spreading his authority. His kingdom is still spreading over every continent and culture, over every class and family until, as the prophets said of David and his kingdom, that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So I don't really have time to describe, although it would be fun to have a time reel, how incredible it is that we get to have the word of God in our written language, hearing it spoken in the language that we speak, having it on a screen, the amount of cultural changes, the ups and downs over the last two millennia that we're 5,522 miles away from Jerusalem, and we get to belong to Jesus and his kingdom. So like on the one hand, we should consider whether or not Jesus has authority over us individually. This is true. Like a mustard seed is faith in Christ working in our hearts. Is the authority of Jesus growing? Has it stagnated? Are we rebelling? That's very true, and we are going to consider that. On the other hand, with the global growth of the church, global growth of the kingdom of Jesus, we can see ourselves in this analogy more like the birds that are finding their home in this growing tree. We have millions of men and women on every continent who have gone before us faithfully testifying and witnessing to the gospel transformation in our life, in themselves, in their homes, in their vocations. Our own community is, again, a time where it will be fun, a link in a long chain of gospel church planting that goes back to Jerusalem somehow. And Jesus' kingdom is the only one in history that's not going to be shaken. All other institutions, kingdoms, nations, ideologies, they're going to grow and die. Jesus and his authority is going to keep growing. So the question for us, for you, us as a community, is that God's kingdom grows in receptive places. Are we going to be receptive people? So we can see from this woman and what happened in the synagogue, what it looks like, to have a receptive heart is to be grateful. So they are rejoicing in God. They're full of joy and wonder and amazement at what Jesus has done in their midst. So we should consider whether or not we're grateful that we belong to Jesus in his growing kingdom. All right, so in case, you know, you're not a botanist and you didn't really resonate with that first analogy, Jesus used an outside analogy. Now he's going to use an inside analogy. Everybody gets an analogy today. It's very helpful, good teaching. So again, Jesus said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So leaven meaning yeast. So God kinging on the earth, God ruling on the earth in the person of Jesus is like yeast, which you need a lot of in your hand just to be able to see it. I don't have any in my hand that I know of. Maybe wild yeast. Jesus is healing people in a remote region of the Roman Empire. This is barely noticeable on a geopolitical scale. If you've ever read a historian like Josephus, you see how little on the geopolitical scale he gives to like Jesus. And Jesus is doing something especially insignificant, like unbinding a woman 
in kind of a random town on the way to Jerusalem. So this doesn't even make it to the scroll at the bottom of whatever news site that you like to watch too much. Like this maybe makes it into a patch article, but maybe. So Jesus is saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. Tiny living fungus that ferments the sugar and flowers and causes the dough to rise. And then if that's what the kingdom of God is like, then what should we compare it to? He's saying that God kinging on the earth, God ruling, looks like a woman who takes some yeast, puts it into three measures of flour. So I know most of you are better at math than I am, so I spent a lot of time to figure out how much this was. This is like 60 pounds of flour. So you need like an industrial mixer. This is going to take up your entire table. And it's going to feed like 150 people. So she takes the yeast and she adds it, and then she kneads it patiently so that the yeast goes all the way through the dough, does its job. Jesus establishing the rule of God, his kinging on the earth is like yeast, slowly, irreversibly working through individual people, groups of people, cultures, nations. It might be slow, not necessarily perceivable on a daily level, but irrevocably growing. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He knows, and we as readers, spoiler alert, we know that it's going to end with him slandered, and tortured, and crucified, publicly humiliated, buried in some other man's tomb. He's going to die like a seed in the ground. He's going to be hidden in death like yeast and dough. And the Father doesn't abandon him in death. He raises him. He begins a new creation, establishes this unshakable kingdom by the open defeat of the enemies of God's people. Death, and as the author of Hebrews says, the one who held the power of death, Satan. So we're freed by Jesus to keep turning from our sin. He heals us from the ways that we've been sinned against. He reconciles us to God and one another. He releases us into his growing kingdom so we can be witnesses of his grace and his power. But imagine that this woman, as she's getting ready to make the bread, just takes the yeast and throws it into the fire without putting it into the dough first. Just throws it into the fire. It's going to cause the fire to expand it's not. It's just going to burn up because the fire isn't a receptive environment for the yeast. The dough is. We also need to see in these analogies, there's a time element and a security element. Like if a seed isn't given time, if it's not given the safety to grow, if it's not given the necessary water and the soil nutrients and the sunlight, then it's going to die. If the yeast isn't given time to actually work through the dough, if it's not put into the dough in the first place, then it's not going to do its job. It's, not, its work is going to be either incomplete or not done at all. If they're not put into the appropriate environment, they're not going to grow to provide shelter and food for others. Similarly for us, if the work of Jesus, the life he gives by his spirit in his community, if we don't give him time to work in us deeply, we aren't receptive to his words and his work, then that same impact is going to be on us, both individually and as a community. And this is why we use the language of gospel safety time here. We use it a lot. If you have been here more than once, you've probably heard us say it at least one time. So Jesus and his gospel are central to what we do. It's the metric by which we evaluate ourselves and what we're doing. And we're committed to that deeply in our gospel communities, with our students and our children, with our preaching, with our singing, 
parenting and working, marriage and sexuality, we're committed to grasping, believing, living from the work of Jesus on our behalf and his spirit driving us to live a gospel life. It has some implications for us. Like we're committed to give one another time for Jesus to do that deep work. We're committed to give one another safety so that we can be places of confidentiality when we're vulnerable with each other. So the yeast is vulnerable to be ineffective without time and safety. You throw it in a fire, it's not going to work. The mustard seed is vulnerable to die if it's not given time and the safety of receptive environment in a garden. So the gospel of Jesus, this victorious announcement of God kinging through Jesus, he's defeated death, sin for God's people. He's been vindicated in his resurrection by the eternal creator. That is like the true reigning of the triune God, and it requires time for us to understand what that means. It's implications for us to let it grow in us, overtake our sin and weakness like yeast does. It requires the safety of being a receptive environment ourselves so the Spirit might apply Jesus' work to us and in us. And there are multiplied ripple effects in our lives when we're transformed by Jesus. And then there are also multiplied ripple effects when we aren't. So the big question for us is, God's kingdom grows in receptive environments. Are we going to be receptive? Here's as we, some takeaways. As thinking through like the impact for this week in your homes and GCs. Here's some simple questions. So one is, am I a receptive environment for Jesus and his kingdom? Simple question, very holistic response. So am I submitting to Jesus in every area of life? So I have some diagnostic questions. So one, how do you receive God's word? Like is Jesus kinging your encounter with his word? Do you see how Jesus and his gospel are central to the story and then to yourself Are you receptive to his words in every area of your life? What happens when we multiply our life patterns by 40 years? If you just stop today, you just multiply it by 40 years. Is that a trajectory that's going to lead you more towards Jesus and his kingdom or more towards yours? So our hearts and our minds are ordered towards one kingdom or another. So let's not depend on readjusting our life at the end of whatever season we're in. Let's consider what that might need to look like today, right now. In your schedule, how does Jesus and his mission rate on like a priority scale? Like is Jesus kinging your calendar? So is your commitment to Jesus and his church written into your calendar in pen or in pencil? Is it written in pen or pencil? So that's the first question. Am I a receptive environment for Jesus and his kingdom? The second one is your home. Is your home a receptive environment for Jesus and his kingdom? So how do we react when somebody in our house messes up? When our spouse or our kids or ourselves, we totally blow it. Is it shame and guilt, control, manipulation? Do we just avoid any correction at all? Or are we learning and practicing forgiveness and grace and reconciling? Do we receive one another in love, oriented by the gospel truth. So as a a family, as a home, do we receive God's word regularly? Is there a gospel fluency that's part of the speaking and living? Is Jesus kinging your home? And then for your home and your money, is it marked by like a continual openness and generosity to Jesus and his mission? 
So I'm eye receptive, is my home receptive, and then this one is for all of us. Is our church a receptive environment for the gospel? So in our GCs, are we letting Jesus king our conversations? Like, do we explicitly talk about the work of Jesus and his words as central to what we're doing and going for? Or is it a place where we're bringing our complaints and frustrations and problems, but we don't get around to how Jesus and the gospel reorders those for us? In our GCs, are we patient with each other? Are we committed to give one another safety and time so that we can develop relational tightness and trust? All right, there was like a, today, maybe half a million kids up here. Do we receive children and students with joy, with gratitude, a sense of responsibility, that even if they're not our own children, that like Jesus received the children, we want to receive them and disciple them? Like, is he kinging the way that we receive and love and disciple the next generation? Two more questions for us as a church. Do we have space for the weak, the poor, the disabled, the suffering among us? Jesus doesn't view this disabled woman as an obstacle. He's in the middle of teaching, and I think he's, he's in the middle of teaching, and he stops to address her. So he doesn't view her as an obstacle to his mission, but an opportunity to demonstrate what the mission of God looks like. So is Jesus king in the way that we collectively see and include the weak and the suffering among us? And then last, is the culture of our church receptive to new people? Do we have space for them to join us? So I know you're looking around and being like, yeah, there's open chairs. But I'm not talking about like the physical space. I'm talking about are we open? Are we open and glad to see new singles, new couples, new families come into our building and come into our homes? One of our leadership values here is that we're open to change. One of the ways we define that, we said, while our core principles and mission don't change, seasons, situations, and the specific people involved do. So leaders are always asking, what's best now? Leaders are willing to admit when they're wrong or something isn't working well and are open to changing how things are done. So for us as a church, are we going to continue to be receptive to new people joining us? Are we willing to flex? serve, give in new ways? Can we lean into how the centrality of Jesus and his gospel is not going to change as being the center of what we do? But there's going to be new seasons, new growth, new people. Can we remain open and flexible to what the Spirit of God is doing in us and among us and gladly pivot our expectations of what that's going to look like? So the question for us today to meditate on is simple, and like I said, it's holistic. God's kingdom grows in receptive places. Are we going to be a receptive people? Let's go for that together.